0: We take you back to a wedding at Cana, where the couple has run out of wine. Not a problem for Jesus. Hear about the first recorded miracle of Christ,
1: next on Grow in Grace. What's Jesus doing at a party, number one, where alcohol is being served? And worse than that, he turns water into alcohol. Now I've read a lot of books and heard a lot of sermons of guys trying to say it, it was not alcoholic wine baloney. Now, we won't make too big a deal about that, but it is a inconvenient truth.
0: Zion, I build with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the cripple stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Let this world know me by your love It's good to have you with us today as we return to our study of John on Growing Grace. And in chapter 2, we take you to a wedding ceremony where they've run out of wine for the guest. Jesus would perform an incredible miracle by turning water into wine. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, no doubt a well-meaning friend has pointed to John chapter 2 as though it's giving permission for them to drink. But is that really the intent of the passage, or have we totally missed the point? Let's find out together and join Pastor Ed Ray for this illuminating study framed
1: around John 2. We are in the Gospel of John. We're in the second chapter. It's a familiar area for most of you. It's a miracle, a miracle of a wedding feast. Verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made into wine, He did not know where it had come from, but of course the servants who had drawn it knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine till now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Galilee, Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory in his disciples. Believed in him. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and that you have left it for us so that we might understand your heart, that we might better understand your character, who you are, and what you would have us do and become. Speak to us, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now. We need to learn of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First miracle we're told that Jesus performed. It is a first miracle after he came to earth as a man, of course, because if you go back to creation, we're told he is the one who, through him, all things were created. So many, many miracles, but this is the first one while he was in a human body. Now, this particular miracle is problematic for many people for various reasons. We'll get into that in just a minute. But every time I read it, I think of this old story of an old country preacher who was in Tennessee and on the Tennessee highways. And he was speeding 100 miles an hour when he passed a billboard with a Tennessee state trooper behind it on a motorcycle. And so he fires up his motorcycle and goes after this pastor. He took him a long time to catch him. He was going so fast, he finally pulled over, turns off the motorcycle, walked up the window, and he said, Pastor, he went, wow, what's that smell? What's in the back seat?" The pastor said, well, that's just some water I'm using for baptizing. He says, give me one of those. And he hands him a mason jar, and he opens it up and smells and He went, whoa, whoa, pastor, this isn't water. This is really strong wine. He said, well, praise God, he did it again. <laughs> you didn't hear that in church, did you? <laughs> Signs, that's what John calls this, a sign. You ever missed a sign? Of course, we all have. There's signs for directions there's every time you go to the dmv they test you if you understand what the signs really mean every good business because they know advertising has some kind of signs out there and you expect a sign to match what's going on inside the building you know if it says mcdonald's you don't expect to get a burrito well sometimes you do i guess this chapter of the gospel of john is jesus first sign we're told now the strategy of john he lets us know. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're not explained why they did it or what the intent of the author was. But John very carefully outlines what he's doing. He says there's seven signs. This is number one, and we'll go through six more obviously then. And then in chapter 20, almost the end of the Gospel, he tells us why why only seven signs? Because Jesus did thousands upon thousands of miracles. But this word for sign, simios, is slightly different than the word for miracle. So John said in John 20, verse 30, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there's John's strategy. These are evidences. These are signs that Jesus is the Messiah, God the Son. And as you take the time to take apart each miracle, you'll see that it emphasizes a slightly different power a slightly different ability that god has that we don't and this particular sign has two parts to it the changing of water into one requires two miracles if you will as a chemist i really enjoy in fact this is my favorite sign my favorite miracle in the whole bible because it's absolutely baffling from a scientific point of view how he did it. We have no idea how he pulled this off, except that he must be the creator to have been able to do this, and we'll take it apart a little bit when we get there. So this sign is this miracle of water to wine, which requires first that it goes to glucose, the sugar, grape sugar, and then that it is subjected to bacteria and yeast, which form the alcohol. Now, those two steps happen naturally in the presence of sunlight and temperature and bacteria and these various kinds of yeasts. But it happens only in time. It takes time. Six months, minimum, I'm told, for one. So Jesus is Lord, master, ruler, over chemistry and over time because wine has vintage. So uh, that's just the introduction to what's really going on in this, this miracle that is a sign. And it's very, very astounding. Now it takes place in a tiny village called Cana. You can visit it today. I look around the room and see some of you have been to Israel with us as we go. And you all should go to Israel sometime whether it's with us or someone else you'd need to go and so you can see this village today it's grown quite a bit but it exists there and the people there are quite aware that this was the spot the miracle took place it has three parts to this section there number 1 there's no wine in verse 1 through 5 and then 6 through 10 this time element of the miracle. Instant vintage. And then the last part, verse 11, the real reason why this is happening, why God arranged this to take place. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I just love this miracle. Let's jump in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding. Now, I'd like to go back and look at what the early church pastors preached on particular verses. This verse was a very popular verse in the second century, 160 to 180. And two pastors, Polycarp and another one named Christinom, who was in Antioch, preached on this and they emphasized these first three words or four words, the third day, because for them it was a picture of the resurrection. That everything was going wrong. Jesus died. He's in the grave. But on the third day, everything came to life. There was new life. There was freshness. There was resurrection. So that's kind of the theme they drew from this. We're looking for a slight, that's a good part of it, but we're looking for something more. So it's no accident. On the third day, when the women went to the tomb, they found this life. Now, This is the third day after Jesus, if you were with us last time, chose his disciple Nathanael. So evidently three days after Nathanael, they were in the north. They had traveled from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee region, which is 70 miles, which is a serious three-day walk and almost 25 miles a day. And they arrived on the third day just in time for this wedding. Strangely, we can know what day of the week it was because still today in the Jewish religion, virgins are married on Wednesday and widows are married on Thursday. So it appears that it's a Wednesday that it takes place in this city called Cana. Notice how close it is to Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So that's the connection we think that Mary knew someone in the city of Canaan because they were five or six miles away. That's the city today, not real pretty, but it's grown. It's actually in a very beautiful part of northern Israel, not very far from the Sea of Galilee. This is what they call the church of the wedding feast. They say this church was built over uh, the home where they had the wedding banquet. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. This is what the little village looked like in the late 1800s, 1890s. It's an agricultural area as it is still to this day. We have olive trees all around this church and that's, those are olive trees all around the city of Cana. This is Grow in
0: Grace and we're at the midway point of our study in John chapter 2. Here's Pastor Ed Ray with the second half of our study.
1: It was at Cana, and it's a small village. And I think there's a message there. God likes to choose obscure people and obscure cities or places. You know, David was born in Bethlehem. We know that because the Messiah, Jesus Himself, would be born there. But it's a tiny village, even to this day. It's very, very small. David was an insignificant, the youngest son. Who was the shepherd boy. God likes to use people who are not well known, and which should be an encouragement to all of us. He's into using regular folks, if you will. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now, Mary only appears twice in the Gospel of John, here, and then after the death of Jesus at the cross. Now, it would seem that she is connected to this wedding because she's actually talking to the servants and giving them some kind of directions. Now we know that Nathaniel was from the village of Cana, so there may be a connection there, but whatever it is, she has something to say. At least she feels responsible for the shortage of the wine. Now, verse 2, Jesus and his disciples, five guys so far, we saw that he's chosen, are there at the wedding. They were all invited. They invited Jesus to their wedding. I pause on that because every wise bride and every wise groom invites Jesus to their wedding. And if you don't, You will later because difficulties come, don't they? It's difficult for two people to live together. You've noticed? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you start off with Jesus, it gives you a much better, fresher start for sure. He came because he wanted to be with friends, it would seem. If you go back over the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes to eight different feasts or dinners or Ways to eat. I love Jesus because he'd like to eat as much as I do. I'm following him. I'm being discipled by him. So he accepts the invitation to feast and he seems to enjoy this interaction, which you would expect Jesus to enjoy being with people. If he was here this morning and you and I could sit down with him, we would love to talk to him. He would be the most interesting person you've ever talked to in your life, of course, right? And so he loved to be with people, and he goes to this wedding. Now here's where the problem starts. And when, verse 3, they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said they have no wine. This is the Greek word in the New Testament for wine. It is not for grape juice. That's a different word. This is alcoholic wine. Now, that's a problem for a lot of people. It creates problems in just that Jesus is at a party because Christians are supposed to look like they've been sucking on a sour lemon. For years, you look at the pictures of the old... Bishops and, and whatnot from England or France or something, and they all just look dour. You can't have fun and be a Christian. I've had people come up after the service and say, You told a joke in church. I say, yeah, I tell a lot of them. Most of them aren't very funny, so people don't know their jokes. I think Jesus would be a hoot to hang around with. Would he be quick? Hello, (laughs) the creator of the universe. So this community is doing what communities did, especially in the first century, but they still do today in Israel. There were three required feasts for people to go to who were males 20 years old or older to go to Jerusalem. But the fourth most popular meeting or feast in all of Israel and still to this day is a wedding feast. It was a gigantic party and everybody wanted to go. There's a couple of reasons for that, but the most pressing one is that people were making a statement by going to the wedding. And I think this is the heritage in America too, but it's kind of gotten lost recently. But you'd go to a wedding because you were making a statement to the bride and groom, we wanna help you. We want your marriage to be a success. And should you get into difficulties, come ask us. We showed up at your wedding because we care about you. At least your parents were not sure about you. You're teenagers, and you know, that's always scary. I'm teasing. Something happens at 13, the brains leave. I'm looking at some teenagers over there, and they're going. <laughs> but don't worry, it'll come back. About 30, about 35 years old, the brains will come back. So they're there at these teenagers, younger than we marry people, usually in America, and they're making a statement to the family and to this couple, we're with you. We'll help you make it through this. And it became a really big deal. Weddings, if you've ever gone to a Jewish wedding, they are a lot of fun. In Israel today a Jewish wedding is a minimum of five days (laughs) some of them are seven or ten that's a lot of partying that's a lot of wine and that's where the problem comes in because some people have grown up in a denominational setting that any alcohol was bad what's Jesus doing at a party number one where alcohol is being served and worse than that, he turns water into alcohol. Now I've read a lot of books and heard a lot of sermons of guys trying to say it was not alcoholic wine. Baloney. Now we won't make too big a deal about that, but it is a inconvenient truth. So there are two errors involved in this statement. They have no wine, And Jesus is being called by his mother to help the problem. Now, two errors come out of that. I grew up in an Irish Catholic family and my Irish Catholic mother began reading the Bible when she was 50 and they went to church every Sunday, but you didn't read the Bible. You just put it on the nightstand and then when the Priest came to your house. You put it on the coffee table, and you opened it up to the pictures at least, so the kids could say they looked at the Bible. So, my mom told me, and she liked to quote this: "Well, Mary asked Jesus to help. So when I want God to do something, I talk to Mary." I said, "No, mom, that isn't the way it works." Well why wouldn't it? I mean, if somebody wants something from you and you won't give it to them, they'll come to me. They've been asking me for stuff. He said, well, there's this little verse, 1 Timothy 2.5. It says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. There's only one that you can pray to. You can't pray to saints and expect them to hear. They're busy. Heaven is too much fun. I'm teasing now. Jesus hears all our prayers. The second mistake that people make from this miracle, besides thinking they're supposed to talk to Mary to get things done, is that they think this wedding feast and this miracle condones drunkenness. It does not. In fact, Old Testament and New Testament are quite clear that we're not supposed to be inebriated by alcohol or any other thing. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. New Testament, Ephesians 5:18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, just throwing yourself away, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, it's legal for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything alcoholism is a problem in our nation one person in 10 is a full-blown alcoholic this is the chemist speaking okay this is not a religious discussion this is reality we could talk about the way our livers work there's a genetic predisposition for alcoholism one family in three has an alcoholic Alcohol is the enzyme that converts it. And people who are alcoholics have a different level of that enzyme. And it's genetically tied to ethnic backgrounds. So if you put it back on me, in my family, we have had alcoholics over the years. And I warned my children, be careful with alcohol because you have people in your life with the same genetic complement that you have that struggle with drinking. So drunkenness is not being condoned here.
0: You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again and find more information about the Packing House Christian Fellowship. That's thepackinghouse.org. You can also call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE and as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Chuck Smith titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. You'll discover the difference grace will make for you. It transforms our lives into something beautiful. Read all about it in this Christian classic. And we'll send it your way when you support Growing Grace with a gift of any amount. You can reach us again at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. You know, and even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio.com at AOL.com and then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Be and the crippled stand, singing high. With the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love